Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the What's Holding You Back January Writing Challenge edition of the 7am Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. This month, we're live talking about everything that might hold a writer back from producing the work they want to write and how they might overcome their roadblocks. But today we have a special bonus episode with one of my favorite writers, Obe Ray Lescure. Uh, good morning, Obe. How you doing? Good morning, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me again on your podcast. Yes, as many times as possible, because Obe's book is coming out next week. That's why we had to have her on. She is a French-Chinese-American writer. She grew up between Provence, northern China, and Shanghai and graduated from Yale in 2015. She worked in foreign policy before becoming an itinerant writer. Her debut is called River East, River West, and it is launching on Tuesday, January 9th, and she's doing a special um interview and reading on January 11th at the Grub Street um, uh, Porter Square bookstore. And so if you're in the Boston area, I do recommend that you attend that event on the evening of the 11th. She's also had a lot of her own fiction and creative nonfiction uh, published, including uh, in Guernica, Lit Hub, Electric Literature, The Millions, WBUR, The Florida River Online, Litro, and others. Her essay, which is a wonderful essay, you can find it online at the Bend of the Road, was selected for the Best American Essays 2022, and she currently works as a deputy editor of Off Assignment. Actually, if you look at Obe's website, she also does a whole lot more. So she's kind of and and every woman, um, and she's super talented, and her book is phenomenal. Okay, Ob, I'm going to shut up because I'm going to listen to you. How are you feeling? A few days, well, week before your launch. How have you been? Um, it is now less than a week uh, to my launch. Six days to be exact. Not not that I'm counting <laughs> or anything, and. This is very, very counterintuitive, but I am feeling more freaked out than ever. I I thought, you know, three months out or six months out, I thought that this period right before my launch would be like the best days in my life. You know, the period of anticipation right before the book comes out, where I feel like I'm just the hottest person alive and this amazing thing was going to happen and I would just be on cloud nine. And to be honest, the more the countdown approaches the actual publication date, the more I felt dispirited, um, anxious, extremely stressed, suddenly pondering the greatest existential questions in life. Like, does this matter at all, given what's happening in the news? <laughs> I thought my life was going to change in radically different ways and it was going to be this huge milestone, but, you know, is my life actually going to change in any substantial way? What am I even going to do next year? Where am I going to live? <laughs> Who does this make me become? And all of these questions are just bubbling up. Um, and I think, you know, to be also very honest about the publishing side of this, there's this ravenous, monstrous appetite for Am I, is my book getting enough attention? Am I getting enough attention? Why am I not on this list? Why am I not on that list? And, and I hate to be that person. Um, but I feel like in in this anticipatory period, I'm I'm just grabby for any kind of morsel of, of recognition. And, and I really don't love that. But I've I've had some wise writer friends tell me that once Pepe actually hits, you just get too busy to be preoccupied by all this. So I'm hoping that will be truthful. Yes, it's probably, 
I don't know. Is it similar to having a baby? I haven't had a baby. <laughs> I shouldn't probably say this, but you know, the baby comes out and you're too, you can't sleep and you're too busy and you don't even know what's going on to even enjoy what's happening or even think about it. Um, yeah, I think this is very, very common. And also all these existential <laughs> questions that you're asking, because we put so much weight on, I want to get a book out. I want to get a book out. And there's so much weight like, oh, they're published. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, and we feel like the book is going to change our lives. It's going to make us better people. It's going to show how smart we really are. It's going to, everyone's going to think, oh, they're so amazing. But it, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just a book <laughs> and and you'll need to write another one and another one another one oh I can't really give you <laughs> I can't give you like relaxing what I think it is I think it allows us to come down to earth and and the debut is the most difficult part of this mm -hmm. uh, when you're debuting you're you're, you're so set up um, to have such high expectations and such high hopes and to have them like right away. Like they have to, you have to be on that list, you know, oh, the book only really lasts a month, you know, that sort of thing, which actually isn't true, especially isn't true these days. A lot of books are getting, um, what's the book I was reading about lately? Oh, it was the book about the uh, woman who wrote about an octopus as a protagonist. Mm. It was in the New York Times, and I guess it did okay in the first months it came out. And then several months later, uh, I think someone on TikTok or someone someone else uh, named it as a favorite book of theirs. And then people started picking it up and recommending it. And so it started to to get a lot of attention carried on by recommendations of people and then and also independent bookstores. Um, so she started really getting hit and now it's back on the on the bestseller list. So, so you don't have to hit it right right out of the ballpark right away. Uh, but it does make you think about. Yeah, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Why I'm spending so much time at this. Um why hasn't it changed me more than it should have? And I think I, I, I'm going to say that I think those are good questions to have because I think they're going to help you write your next book. Um, I think it'll help you stay grounded. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it'll help you put writing a book into the context that it needs to be. I mean, it really can't be this big, big, shiny thing that changes your life. Otherwise, I don't think you'd ever write again. I just mm -hmm. don't think you'd ever get there, honestly. Um, and the, and the thing is you still, I think a lot of people think that's going to solve various problems that they have, like, I don't know, not having a personality or, or <laughs> having too much of a personality or whatever. And it actually doesn't luckily, Obe, you don't suffer from those personality problems and you have a lot of going on for you. So you don't need to worry about that. But some people really feel like, oh, this is going to make me, me, um, now it is nice to say, oh, I have a book published, um, <laughs> But then, of course, people are like, oh, have I heard of it? Or, oh, have I read it? And you'll be like, um, you know, with my book, uh, The Quickening, everyone thinks that it's either Anne and writes The Gathering <laughs> or they think it's oh, what is that famous book? Um, a really famous older book, the name of which I've totally forgotten um, that everyone thinks it's the book. Oh, I've heard of that. And I and I have to tell them, yeah, I don't think you have. <laughs> I don't think you've heard of it. Um, 
So what do you do? I mean, I really do think it's it's a it's it's not a terrible thing to confront these questions, to confront why am I doing this, to confront who am I now, because I think it's going to help you write your next book. Um, because I just don't think you can write if you're your head is in the sky and you're floating away. I mean, there's a lot of writers whose first book does do enormously well. And, you know, I was thinking today, I was like, Julia Phillips doesn't have another book out yet. There's a lot of writers, they just get stuck with that second book because the first book is such a, it's such a big hit. Um, and actually, um, who was the, um, the Gone, it's Gone Girl, right? The mystery writer. I don't no, think she, does she have no. another book? You know, so it was such a hit that you get stuck. It, it stops you right in your tracks. So I think you, we forget that, I mean, in many ways, this is a job. Mm -hmm. um, and in many ways, we're constantly growing and moving forward and becoming better writers and constantly searching through those human connections of what does it mean to be living? What does it mean to write? What does it mean to reflect the world? Um, and I think those are good questions to have, because I think it, it means that you are going to be writing about the real thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, any, I, probably none of that helps. No, no. It, it's, so, it's so helpful. And also, I think Julia Phillips does has a new book coming out. Oh, good. Out I'm glad. Year, so hooray and inspiration. But, um, you know, what you said about the, the second book or continuing to write, honestly, that's been the only thing uh, that has offered me any grounding in the past months is thinking about writing my next book, not actually writing it because I'm incapable of mustering the just the mental sanity and energy um, to write it. But but it truly feels like a salvation at the end of this process instead of a daunting task. So instead of being like, oh, crap, I have to start writing my second book after all this I think I see it as once once I recuperate from all of these crises of identity and purpose and just busyness, hopefully in the next few months, maybe that's totally delusional, but hopefully I I can return to project number two, which which I have started. I have a few chapters, but um it feels alive. And okay. and that reminds me of kind of the long-term purpose of this all that I care I care deeply about improving as a writer I care deeply about putting something out in the world that I, I'm proud of that deserves to be read um, I do care about the art of it and I have to remind myself of that because right now I am just consumed by the business side of it and the attention economy and you know yeah. everything we just we just discussed so I have to say I I was delusional <laughs> six months ago or a year ago. I was like, I'm going to have draft a, a whole draft, a revised draft of novel number two ready before my first novel gets published. You know, yeah. it's just going to be kind of ready to go um, as as the first book comes out. And that just that just hasn't been the case. I spent about a year thinking and plotting novel number two. I was really really set on having a whole outline, a whole plan, having um, all of the characters down because I suffered a lot in my first book from not having a fully set plot or character arcs. And I was constantly kind of cranking it back in to the writing process. And I think that 
that was very challenging with the writing of the first book. So I went the opposite direction. Maybe this is um, uh, very, very uh, related to the what's holding you back question is what was holding me back with book two was I need this to be kind of perfectly planned before I start writing so that I can avoid and bypass all the troubles of, you know, not having enough momentum, the pacing being wonky, the plot not not having legs. And I just didn't write for a whole year. I was just planning. And and that didn't work for me. I mean, I do have more of an idea of what the novel is, um, but but I needed to just start, you know, rambling first drafts in order to to get it going so I kind of jettisoned my first strategy and I just I wrote a few chapters over the summer and then I started slowly slowly writing a couple more scenes over the course of this past fall just to keep it alive um I'm (laughs) I'm I'm someone that's very low bars for myself that helps me achieve my goals more than setting very high bars um so I have a few chapters and what's most important I think is that it feels alive. Like it doesn't matter that I don't have a full revised, you know, draft number 3.2. Um, it would have been alive in that form, but it's also alive uh, as, you know, a three chapter manuscript. And I kind of can't wait to get back to it. Oh, that's good. I mean, that's what I felt too. Like, I think especially with my first one, because I traveled a lot, uh, I was driving around the Midwest all over the place because we were hitting the Midwest big because it takes place in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I named my car to make it fun, you know, but I was driving a lot and not eating well. And I think probably drinking a couple glasses of wine a night, which is also not very healthy when you're doing a book tour. But um, I just wanted to get back to the quiet. I just wanted to get back to my desk, which I was surprised at because when I was writing at my desk, I was always thinking, I just want to get this damn thing done so that I can prove to myself that I can do it. So I can prove to the world that I can do it. And, and so I actually think I've always thought, and I've said this before, possibly on this podcast, but I've said, I do think that's the mark of a true writer that you actually just want to get back to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I think that's actually really good for you. Um, and the idea of, I've heard this too, actually, Nancy Crochier, I think was talking about the same thing. I just, and I've heard this from other people working into second novels. I just want to plan it all out. So mm-hmm. I don't have the same problems that I had before. And the problem is <laughs> you're every book of its own monster, you're still going to have to hit different obstacles. You're still going to have to solve different problems. Mm-hmm. Some books do well, really being really planned out. And some books just don't. Um, I uh, I planned out my second book more, and but this last book I had planned out and I had to ditch the plan entirely and write it just by the seat of my pants. And that made it more alive as you're talking about, because it's just what the book needed to be. And I'm much happier with it because I was just kind of paying attention to what it was becoming as it was becoming. I think the fact that you've even started a second book is excellent. Um, and you can you can disappear into that you know, when you're at a hotel or where, wherever you're going or whatever you're doing to promote this book, you can disappear into that, take some notes, just even or think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to help you hugely. Um, some people wait until after the first book is all launched and out before they, they do the second book. And that's, I think that's a dark place. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a dark place. What kind of... Um, 
what kind of advice have you given, gotten from other authors through all of this? Possibly better advice that makes you feel happier or more content than the advice I've given you. <laughs> no, no, you're giving absolutely excellent advice. Um, I think, I think, I think a piece of good advice I've gotten um, is, I mean, it sounded so, you know, dark and ominous when I first got it a few months ago, it was just protect yourself, protect mm -hmm. yourself and your new work throughout the debut publication process. And I was like, what could this possibly mean? Protection is such a, you know, loaded, scary term. And now I think, I, I think that kind of <laughs> treatment of, of this stage as kind of a mental health crisis, <laughs> if it, you know, if you're uh, like me and that's kind of the form it takes and just really um, really being gentle with oneself and also kind of recognizing that uh, perhaps the publication cycle is dictating some of these moods and some of this busyness and that on pub day um, things things will change or hopefully change I have a had a writer uh, write to me recently that it's like flipping a switch on that day but the day before pub day is actually the worst it's the one where you're absolutely freaking out the most because everything is abstract and anticipatory and not real but then once once a book exists as a physical object out in the world and you're you know having conversations with people who've read it and you're having these kind of concrete exchanges with readers um things things will get better but yeah, I have <laughs> I have to tell you about the drafting of book two this summer, how I got a few chapters done. It was kind of hilarious because my my second book is gonna be set in France in this countryside house um, that my grandparents owned and now is still in the family. And I'm um I'm calling it a retelling of the picture of Dorian Gray set Ooh. in Yes, France. you told me about this. Yay. Yeah, and it's um it has kind of a, a multiracial modern cast and it's a lot about hedonism and ethics and basically, you know, this, I don't know, this wild cast of characters at this country house. And I decided to invite a bunch of my friends to spend the summer at the country house. Hey. And then <laughs> I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to draw inspiration from this. It's going to be like, a, like live experiment slash novel. I'm just going to be observing people and then they will only be half aware that maybe they're being guinea pigs in this project and I'm going to write it all out. And in the end, I had a fabulous time with my friends. I was hosting a ton, like checking on who was, you know, eating what, dietary restrictions, when the next grocery run would be. I didn't write a single word. And it's when everybody left and, you know, nothing that scandalous happened that actually would have, you know, constituted a major plot point of the novel. But it was only when everybody left that there was that quiet. And yeah. there was only only my mom and my uncle. And I was like, goodbye. I'm going into my room for the next two weeks. I need yeah. to make up some lost time. Um, and I was able to write a few chapters. And for this next upcoming summer after, you know, book publication busyness dies down, I think I'm going to go back to that house because I love being the setting um, of the place. I'm a very setting based writer. So I do like the idea of being there. And it's kind of like a writing retreat, but I will not make the same mistake <laughs> of inviting yeah. a full house. I think 
really for me, what helps me with creating the the space for writing is making it a very cave-like environment with very few distractions, both in terms of the physical space and in terms of that time period in your life where you know um, this month or these few weeks will be ones of relative kind of voidness where you can really dedicate yourself to the project. I know some people write daily and I really, really admire writers Mm -hmm. with that discipline. I think I'm I'm not so capable of doing that, but I know that there are some months over the year where I can hunker down and really just live and breathe the novel uh, or the writing. And so that's kind of how I approach creating new work. I'm I'm not beating myself up if I can't write an hour a day, but I know I will really give it my all once I more smartly plan out <laughs> a kind of writing month or writing period for myself that you can just fall into and it becomes your top priority and everyone knows it's your top priority push everything else aside yet you really need to follow your own process you really need to follow what works for you specifically um going back to your first novel what were some of the things that got you through um you know all the way you know to having a, a first draft then a finished draft then getting it getting the book sold? What were some of the things that that got you through that whole process? You did a lot of work on your novel. You made a lot of changes, particularly in point of view. Yeah, I um, I rewrote um, major, major. I mean, I basically rewrote my entire novel several, several times over. Um, and I think for me, classes and accountability were really huge um and I I didn't go to an MFA program or you know grad school of of any kind for book one but I did move to Boston and I knew about Grub Street including (laughs) including the novel incubator from you know day one um and I it was kind of my goal to create enough of a manuscript to apply and get in so I, I took quite a few classes, including a generator class where you just basically send five or 10 pages to the instructor every week. And I generated enough of a, you know, messy first draft that I was able to apply to the incubator program with it. And then that provided incredible uh, accountability and motivation. I think having deadlines, having a cohort who you trust and you want to impress and you know you want their feedback that's that's hugely motivating and that's honestly the advice I give to any of my writer friends who are um, in a similar process like you don't need to apply to grad school or do something that feels like a major major life change but if there is some kind of a long-term workshop class at your local writing center or online nowadays you know you can find um some classes like this online do it because it's I couldn't I truly couldn't have done it without the incubator program and then afterwards I think our year ended right as COVID hit and we weren't even able to have our last few classes and the final reading but our class kept meeting for um, many months after after the program ended throughout the early days of the pandemic and I think that kept me kept me writing kept me revising and then, you know, like many people, I hit a really dark period um, 
in late 2020, early 2021. And I remember distinctly that, again, I'm not, I'm not a lofty goal setter. My goal was I needed to cut down my manuscript at that point because I had sent it out to um, a bunch of agents. It was 140,000 words. It was a mess, but I just needed validation from someone, from anyone, which I did not get. Everyone was like, this is way too long and not ready. Um, and, and the consensus was it was way too long. So I knew I needed to cut it down drastically. And I set a goal for myself to cut one word a day. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. You know, I needed to cut 30,000 words. It's like, did I really think I was going to take up like 30,000 days? No, but I knew that if I, like, I was in such a kind of fragile, yeah. um, state that it was like, treating myself like I was a little toddler who needed to be fooled into doing something was promises of a a candy. You know, I was like, I will open my computer and delete one word a day. Like I can do that. It's just reading one sentence, you know, that would be okay. And some days that's honestly all I did. And, And some days I would open that document and then lo and behold, I had, you know, fooled myself into actually sitting in front of the computer for a couple hours and cut out a bunch of stuff. So with the one word a day strategy over the course of, you know, five or six months, I was able to eventually cut 30K words. Um, And then I queried agents again and it worked like a charm. Like this time I, I had a lot more success with querying agents. Um, I was able to get offers and and eventually um, land my current agent. And that all came from my very, very low bar of, of cut one word a day. So I feel like I write that. one word a day would also work. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, I mean, yeah, I sometimes tell people, you know, or even just write for one minute a day, mm-hmm. you know, because because some days you might just do one minute um or even just think about your book for one minute a day but some days you might actually do a lot more and get carried away by it and it does it just gets you to your desk or just gets you into that creative space Mm -hmm. Uh, and again I think whatever works but our lives get so huge and so complicated and we get we get so many things scheduled that you're like okay I can do one minute um and uh Though I remember I took guitar lessons a few years ago and she said, all you need to do is practice 15 minutes a day. And I, I didn't get it done. <laughs> I was taking out the guitar, you know, tuning the guitar. By the end of all that, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I still have the guitar. I need to get back to the guitar. So, um, 15 is too many. I feel like it needs to be absurdly yeah, easy where you're like, I have absolutely no excuse. This is almost a, a joke kind of goal. I, I got to do it because even, even 15 minutes, or I think I admire people who do NaNoWriMo or write a thousand words a day, because I feel like if that were my goal, I would do all kinds of mental gymnastics and reverse math. Like, well, but I have this class at 1 PM, but then I really need to go buy milk as a grocery store before that. So it means my one hour writing window really only is, you know, 30 minutes and I kind of have to do this before. Uh, so I guess I just, I'll do it tomorrow. And, you know, it feels like the bigger the the daily goal or the goal is, the more excuses you can generate to be like, oh, this is why today is not optimal to create space for this. But yeah. yeah, if you dangle a little, you know, one word, one minute carrot, that's almost like a joke. Um, you. I feel like there's no excuses that could be made for not doing it because it will literally take like 30 seconds 
of your life. Yes. And then you actually kind of cheat yourself into doing it more often. You're doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then also, so as you talked about the accountability of having other writers around you, having deadlines, taking classes. So of course there's Grub Street and of course there's an incubator, which I personally think is the best thing. Um, but of course it's because I teach it and I need to make money also. But, um, <laughs> and I have amazing writers that have come out of my program, such as yourself. So I'm very lucky with that. Uh, but there's also Story Studio in Chicago that Rebecca Bakai was part of. There's the Lighthouse Writers in Denver. Um, there's Gothic Writers in New York. Um, there's there's a lot of different places all over the United States and then outside the United States. And a lot of them also have online programs. And there are a lot of writers communities now, too, that are just doing accountability groups mm -hmm. or um, doing uh, writing cafes and meeting up together and writing um, just an hour or two a day. So if you do search on your um, on your on your Google, you can you can find this stuff. And, and find ways to make that connection. That's some, one of the reasons why I wanted to do the 7 a.m. novelist, just to kind of give people kind of a, you know, give people some information, give some people a sense of support um, and of coming together. But there's lots of other things that you can do too, to find, because there's just lots of people that are looking for it too. Um, Okay, I'm going to have to let you go, Obe. Everyone else, you can find our full schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges. You can also find any of the episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so we can reach other listeners. You can also still register for our live uh, webinar on Zoom. You can share Shoot me an email at 7amnovelist.substack.com for that. And you can submit your own one minute recording of any problems that you yourself are facing, the things that are holding you back, or you can write, do a write-up of it, less than 200 words. Um, and I probably said that 5,000 times already on this podcast, but I want to hear from Ob last. Ob, do you have any recommendations for other writers that are struggling? Um, it could be they're struggling with existential angst. <laughs> <laughs> doubting who they could be. They're struggling even to cut that one word. Um, anything that you might tell them to kind of keep them going in this, in these dark days of January? I think, I think my advice is take it easy on yourself. Aim, aim low. If, if that's what you got to do, it's okay sometimes to aim low and to, to protect yourself. And Read something you love, just to remind yourself why why you love literature and what motivates you to do it. And and reading can be a form of self care and of production. Mm -hmm. I think it's very inspiring. I think people forget about that. Reading stuff that you admire puts you back into that place of oh, this is what I want to do, and this is why I want to do it, and this is the whole point to make something like this. Is yeah. there something these days that you've grabbed for that you're reading that has been inspiring to you? Or is that dangerous oh. right now? I've, I've I've become a huge fan of the Paris Review. I wasn't really, I, you know, I, I was aware of its existence, but I was not a regular reader before. And I got myself a subscription as a birthday gift some time ago. And it is a beautiful, beautiful magazine and website. Um, it's so worth it. And and I like that I can read kind of 20 or 30 minute 
chunks of of an interview. Uh, they have amazing interviews, um, you know, fiction, poems. So yeah, not quite a book recommendation, but if if someone's you know looking for a magazine wreck, that's my favorite magazine of the moment. Fabulous Curtis review, and they have a long history. Okay, everyone, excellent. Thank you so much, Oa, for being with us, and thank you everyone else for joining us. I do hope you're able to get back to your writing days and have a wonderful writing day.